Hi, I'm Milton Davis, and you're listening to Microphones of Madness. Hey, everybody. Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. And today we are talking the second part of Black Power, the superhero anthology, edited by Balagan Ojitade. And uh, you can get this on Amazon. Link will be in the description of the podcast. Uh, Looking at the second five stories on the list. And we'll just jump right into it with where the monster, where monsters roam. Are Upkins. Yes. This was a very, very short one. Absolutely. I think it's the shortest one in the book so far. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's hard to go through this without giving too much away, but it, it's more of the moral of the story counts in this one than the, uh, the, the actual, actual plot. The plot. Because the plot is kind of, you know, it's fairly typical. Like for a super superhero kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it had the vibe of um, the very the the quote unquote very special issue. Um, I was I was thinking about it earlier before we went on the air. Um, you remember that Spider-Man Power Pack crossover? Right. Learned that uh, Peter Parker was uh, molested before he was bitten by the radioactive spider. Right. It, you know, or, it, or when Green Lantern got chewed out for only helping white people. Right. Yeah, definitely, definitely more along the lines of the Green Arrow Green Lantern series. But, you know, being it's like a single, like a one shot, like an eight pager, if it was a comic. Right. It would be the backup story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, and this was back in the, the way they used to introduce new characters way back when is they would do a backup feature right you'd, you'd have that run like four or five issues and then if uh it had enough positive reviews you get your own book right or you'd move up to the main feature in whatever book it was or something right right like you know journey into mystery and stuff like that right uh, but yeah what we have is um the the narrator or the the you know the all-seeing narrator is following around this this lady, um, who she's a piece of work. She is a definite piece of work. It's very relevant to our time because she is wearing a MAGA hat. Yeah, I don't even know what a fucking MAGA hat is. Make America Great Again. Oh, that MAGA hat. MAGA. Is she really wearing that? Did I miss that? No, she's not actually wearing it. But okay. you know, it's she a, definitely does want to make America great again. That's oh yeah, definite. definitely, definitely. This 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 person is absolutely I mean she says disgusting. That these homosexuals won't stop until they brainwash all our children. Right. They are to control the media. It's yeah, it's definitely and since this is black power and it's a, an anthology that focuses on African American superheroes, um, you know, we get her perspective when she sees our actual protagonist of the story. Uh and assuming he's a drug dealer and 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 really, yeah, it's 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 a very accurate portrayal of just that everyday kind of racist bullshit. Yeah, um, microaggression. Yeah, that you just, you know, you know, it's the same thing. You know, this, this is the type of woman who would come into the gas station and go, oh, thank God you're an American. Right. 
you know, or something like that. And, I'm just you know. embarrassed that I didn't know. I thought MAGA hat was like a brand pick up at Nordstrom's or something. Well, it is. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is a kind of a brand, and you could probably pick them up at Nordstrom's. I don't know. No, no, no slight on Nordstrom, but who knows? Um, yeah, but still, very, very poignant message is our hero really does get to uh, speak his piece. Yeah, he, he definitely does. She she exits the uh, transport, the train. Is it a train? Or a bus? That's a bus. Yeah, she exits the bus and gets... Oh, gets God, out. I got to take the bus. Yeah. It's like... Right, because like, the Beamer's in the shop. I'm I'm slumming on the bus, Barbara. Yeah. Yeah, how many low lives use public transportation? It kind of reminds me of um what's what's his fucking name? Um the old closer for the Braves mm-hmm. back in the nineties, remember? Um John Rock John Rocker. John Rocker? Yeah, you remember when John Rocker was like, Oh, you play playing the Mets, you gotta take the train next to some woman who's like pregnant for the fifth time he just had like this tirade that he went off on. Yeah. Got into got a lot of flack for it because he's a jackass, right? <laughs> it's it's right. it's it's one of she she goes off on one of those John Rocker tirades. Yeah, and very very publicly, right. and you know, not even not even like you know back not, in the day where people would like kind of keep that shit quiet. Yeah, no. exactly. It's, it's it's you know it's no a superhero problem. story. You know, it's this is a very short introduction to this character in this world, and it leans a little bit more toward the urban fantasy side than than straight uh, four color superheroes, right? Um, but we get introduced to this character through this this very uh, relevant lens. I, I I think it's it's I'm finding just as an aside, reading deeper and deeper into this anthology, that I think it's just difficult to write um that that pure four color style in prose well and and, and i think a lot of these guys are leaning more towards what they're used to mm -hmm. writing with uh superpowers instead of magic or whatever well you know there's myself criticism i'm just saying that yeah it's 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 hard to get that Superman coming down, hitting the ground on three, you know, three points and striking a pose before he clocks Brainiac. Right. Well, yeah, it's 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 hard to get that 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 feel, um, you know, in prose. But I think there's also this this kind of literary uh, trend that urban fantasy stories really are considered superheroes of a type. Um, I remember you know doing some research and 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 reading some different things about tropes and whatnot uh, on a site that was pretty much dedicated to you know how to write superheroes. And there were a lot of folks in like the comment sections and whatnot that were just they were touting works of urban fantasy, you know, as as being superheroes, and and they they are very similar. Yeah, I know you're you're right. I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of the stuff from like um, Rick Riordan, mm-hmm. is, you know, even though it is urban fantasy. I mean, they, they're basically superheroes, right? Right. You know, I mean, they're kids with powers. 
it's it's kind of like um you know instead of your superman your flash and stuff like that it's more like the doctor fate inspector and john constantine and that sort of thing uh that that world zatanna i think a lot of it is probably uh very much influenced by doctor strange doctor fate that sort of thing right so you have the and blade yeah specific specific, specific story yeah, definitely, definitely a heavy blade influence. Well, there's the spoilers. Tomb of, <laughs> Tomb of Dracula, those sorts of comics. Yeah. Yeah, and that's about the biggest spoiler you're going to get. Yeah, but but in the end, our hero gets a chance to confront this woman. Oh, yeah, she definitely gets her comeuppance. Yeah. Um, and really, it's just being humiliated because, you know, he saves her from mm-hmm. something. Right, and, and and you know forces her to to look at her priorities and how right. her world is organized. Um, and you know, prose wise, Upkins. I mean, the story is is like we said, is very short, but it gets a lot accomplished in in the time that he uses. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's you know, it's very tight narrative, very efficient um, use of language, and it really drives the point home. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, a, a slight bias on my part, probably yours as well, is it's a lot easier to uh, read a story like this that has a strong moral message when you agree with the moral message that's being Oh, yeah. Said. Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, if this was coming from the opposite end, I probably would be pissed off. Right. Or have thrown the book across the room. Right. Well, the book's on my iPad, so not quite, but yeah. Yeah. Figuratively speaking. Right. I would have printed it out and then thrown it across the room. Yeah, but uh, Upkins also, you know, we talk about how deplorable this this character is in the beginning that we're introduced to. Um, you know, and I kind of wonder, you know, does did did Upkins uh, cringe as much as we did when he was writing it? Right. <laughs> Probably more so. Yeah. You know, and it it's almost it's almost like he was transcribing something he actually heard. Yeah, I'm sure. Because um, it's not like what she says is not like beyond the pale. I mean, it is right. beyond the pale, but it's not, you know, unheard of for people to say shit like this unfiltered because, you know, they have that ability because they're privileged. Yeah, especially especially if you're on the Internet these days. Oh, yeah. You know, it's got it's like its own Reddit comment section. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You should publish this if you're listening um, on the internet, Mr. Hopkins, <laughs> and see see what uh, scum crawls out from underneath the box. Yeah. So yeah, that was a it was a good uh, start to this section. Um, and actually, the the next couple of stories. Are, are rather full of social commentary themselves. Yeah, so, yeah. Like the the six, seven, and eight are are have a good bit of uh, social commentary to them, which is not unheard of in superhero fiction. Yeah. Uh, the next story on our list is Blue Spark versus the Gentle Giantess by S. J. Fujimoto. Uh, this is a story where we have a. It definitely has a, a grasp of the zeitgeist going on here. Um, yeah. 
quite a few digs at superhero fandom. Oh yeah, most oh yeah, especially like fan art. Oh yeah, the the fan art and and, and the the idea of fan service. Yeah, um, you definitely uh, taken on here. The uh, the the main character, the Blue Spark. Um, actually, both the Blue Spark and the Shetland Giantess um, have have a fans drawing nude photos of them. Oh yeah, and uh, they react in completely different ways. Blue Spark decides that she wants to um, call the the message board that it's on and try and get them to rein it in. Mm-hmm. And uh, the gentle giantess takes a altogether different path. Right, right. She's kind of like, what if Ann Coulter had superpowers? Well, oh yeah. And then you also have uh, Blue Sparks' idea that you know, well, instead of instead of calling them and trying to get them to take it down, <coughs> excuse me, why not just become more visible? And actively promote against this type of image but just by being there and people can see me for real instead of indulging in these like odd fantasies. Gentle Giantess, on the other hand, is she's very misguided. She goes after the creators. She goes after the creators. Um and she has an interesting mix of politics. She she comes she comes at the creators of, of these lewd pieces of art for or what she defines as lewd. Um, you know, as okay, well this is misogynist and by being misogynist you're also being misandrist. And so, you know, this will this, this won't stand, so uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to set you straight. Now, the politics aside, these characters both have very similar power sets. Right. Um, they both are enhanced humans um, who are able to increase their muscle mass and proportionally increase their strength, their endurance, et cetera, et cetera, speed. They, they just get that from different sources. And it's kind of at the end, it's kind of a big reveal. Right. Um, that I don't know if it really had impact on the story. Mm-hmm. But yeah, one of them, one of them, it's a mysterious. You don't know how people get their powers. They just do. Right. They just kind of, it's almost kind of like a bang baby situation. Yeah. They're called Suprema, which right. I thought was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Instead of calling them superheroes or capes or whatever, or mutants or right. mutates or Suprema and the and the um, the individual the singular is Supremum. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of cool in two ways because a it's a different name, but b both Ma and Mum bring to mind women. Yes. So and and in this the only. People who have superpowers are women. Yes, both the blue spark and the gentle giants. And a lot of the, this, the so-called fan art, is um, art of them stealing men's vitality. Yes, to, uh, 
to to uh, enhance their own strength. Yeah, so there's, there's definitely a lot of uh, subtext going on in this story. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, this is another one that would make comment sections go fucking ballistic. Yeah, um, and also probably make more than one psychiatrist very interested. Yeah, things that make you go. Hmm. How did you feel about your mother? Yes. Um, and we get a knockdown drag out fight. Yes, you do. So so I mean we got we got one in Where Monsters Roam as well, uh, for for brief, but I would say a good third of this story is a fight sequence. But it's not only a fight sequence, it's a strategic fight sequence because it's a distraction to accomplish the true task, which was to rescue the kidnap victims. Right. So while Blue Spark was duking it out with the gentle giantess, the, the, the rest of her department were getting the, uh, in, well, we won't say innocent, but the kidnap victims out of harm's way. Right. Well, you know, yeah. But then again, you also have that, that very common superhero trope is there's a lot of dialogue while they're throwing punches. Yeah, there is. I and mean, well, you gotta, you gotta see where, gentle giantess is coming from right and it, and and blue spark kind of cat and kirkter <laughs> that's you true know. that's true I mean, uh, she, she was definitely playing a head game as well oh definitely definitely but but trying to play the head game and drive home the the message you know you don't you don't have to do this right i mean you're you're powerful you can work with us you can get you help and you can you know, be a superhero because the, the the other thing that um, Gentle Giantess was, she was deluded into thinking she was doing the right thing. Right. She viewed herself as a hero, and all the best villains view themselves as a hero, as the hero of their own story. And they are. I mean, you know, Gentle Giantess really as a as a villain, and you know, it was this would be a, a nice. Uh, character to develop further in that role, or possibly even as an anti-hero. Um, you know, this is... I mean, she's not like Doctor Doom level. No, she's like Annie Wilkins. Uh, right. Exactly. So, yeah. Another another good one. Uh, no, I swear she was putting Ann Coulter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, because she says, like, uh, oh, shit. She says, sometimes a racist cop would make the rest look bad, but it wasn't fair to paint them all with the same brush. I mean, these are, like, direct, you know, quotes of shit that, that pundits on the right say all the time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Not, not all. It's the whole, you know, hashtag not all, blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, actually... Very, giantess. very much a, very much a, well, actually, kind of thing going on. Yeah, the gentle giantess with her trilby, and definitely, uh, definitely, another, you know, hard hitter as far as the the social commentary. I really hate to say these are political stories. You know, I prefer to think of them as being socially conscious rather yeah. than political. Well, yeah, because you know these arguments are going to go beyond the current political climate. Mm-hmm. You're still going to have people who, who who have convoluted ways of thinking, 
and are going to, you know, not get the shades of gray. Right. And it's, it's just that, uh, these particular, particular where monsters roam and blue spark versus the gentle giantist, um, are, they're just very present in this time. It's like, you know, you read the villain's dialogue or, or the, you know, the victim in where monsters roam. And, you know, like, like we said, you get, you know, these flashes of, I've seen that thought before. Right. Oh, you know, straight from the headlines. Right. Pretty much pulled straight from the headlines, pulled straight from the comment section of any (laughs) form. Yeah. You know, very much so. And yeah, so you have two stories very present. Um, and that's one of those things that where, whereas the action of the story and the mythology that's implied throughout the story is very uh, universal, kind of timeless, like mm-hmm. superhero stories are, you know, you have this, this world that is very, very much similar to the one that we currently occupy. Yes. And yes. Now we come to Gotta Go by uh, Aurelius Reigns II. Uh, this story is also very relevant, uh, very yeah. timely, very uh, five minutes from now. I really like this story. Yeah, I believe you said this one was your favorite in this section of the anthology. Yes, I did say that. I stand by that. Uh, we have a character, the main character, uh, known to the community as Ninja Man. Ninja Man. <laughs> who really strikes me both in motivation and tactic as being kind of a cross between Daredevil and Black Panther. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's definitely like that that neighborhood street fighter kind of mm-hmm. kind of a hero. And and that's one thing that we haven't seen yet in this this anthology. We see global threats, we see um you know personal threats. We haven't seen the neighborhood superhero yet. And, you know, that's a big throwback to, like, Marvel Comics and whatnot because every superhero in New York operates in a specific neighborhood. Even at one time, Spider-Man was a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Everybody gets one. Um, so, yeah, what we have is he's, he's, he's going around, and this is also the first story we see where the hero um, is not fighting crime at first or not fighting supervillains. Our ninja man is rescuing somebody from a fire. Right. Or, 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 uh, you know, having a chat with someone who who abuses his family. Right. Instead of like taking him in a back alley and beating the ever living right. shit out of him. It kind of reminds me of, remember that um, Justice League Unlimited um, Flash Day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of how the Flash was like to, uh, who was it? It was Trickster. Trickster. Are, are you off your meds again? Are you off your meds again? <laughs> All yeah, right. Finish your, finish your beer and then report to, to your parole officer. And Ninja Man, Ninja Man is the type of character. I mean, we've discussed this a number of times. You know, talking about the Flash, talking about Batman, things like this, um, is a character who really falls under my definition of superhero, where they're not just going out beating up muggers 
They're not, you know, just fighting supervillains. They're not uh, part of some secret government agency. They're just folks on the street. Uh, they have special abilities, and they use those special abilities at that level, whether it's stopping a mugging or rescuing somebody from a fire. He, he, he's helping out the folks he knows, basically. Right, right. He's he's kind of like a guardian angel and, type know, they, of character. They repay and, him by naming him Ninja Man. Well, you know, he dresses <laughs> much, all in black. Much to his chagrin. Right. He doesn't like the name. It's a running running joke in the story. It's great. Right. Kind of work on that name. Now, what I find interesting is that the story builds up to a confrontation with another hero. Right. Uh, but now. This Which other is hero, fresh, but but it's kind of like that 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 trope from, um, Batman animated series Lockup, mm-hmm. where the, the other hero is so narrow sighted that right. he 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 looks at Ninja Man's neighborhood and real and says to himself, "Well, it's a shitty neighborhood." Right um, now, now I will say. I will say that your um, your uh, reference of Batman is kind of kind of pointed here because it seems like the character of the Crusader is meant as a commentary on Batman. Right. When back in the day, before the Millerization of Batman, uh, Batman was more uh, a, maybe not a neighborhood guy, right? But um, he he was not as obsessed with locking up everything that moves, right? Well, you know, being like a, a one-man police force. Yeah. But before, you pretty much you pretty much have, you know, this Batman got ruined. Batman. Yeah. You pretty much have this Batman type of character. I mean, this character even has a utility belt. His superhero name references one of the uh honorifics given to Batman. Right. You know, being the Crusader. Um pretty much this guy comes just crashing into this neighborhood neighborhood he's never been in before he's he's never patrolled as a kid and he tortures a fucking kid in you know in that batman kind of way uh ends up breaking the kid's arm and the kid the kid (laughs) it's funny how uh how reigns describes a kid as is a nerdish kid Mm -hmm. he even watches star trek by choice right (laughs) that's that's nerd code it's a nerd. What are you beating up on the nerd for? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's and, just and, a, a step in the process. I, it, it was definitely a, a fucking Crusaders yeah. a douchebag. And definitely, and and very much that kind of Nolan Nolan esque objectivist Batman. Yeah. He associates with scum. He is scum. Right. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, so, and so and Ninja fight. Man's like, uh, yeah, not in my neighborhood, kids. And and it, it's Ninja Man tries to take his his normal approach. He's trying to talk this guy down mm-hmm. instead of kicking his ass. Right. It's like, look, man, you know, you, you're on the wrong track here. You you tortured a kid. You broke his arm. He's going to tell you whatever the fuck you want to know to get you to stop. The guy you're looking for is not here. And then he's then the Crusader is pretty much. Give him the old. I thought you were cool. Yeah, I thought you were cool, man. You know, with your fucking you, you your, a great ally in the war against crime. 
Um, and then he's like, but you stand in my way. Right. You're either with me or my enemy. Yeah, therefore. You know, and I and I am particularly interested yeah. in, in this juxtaposition that Ninja Man is uh, a modernized sword and soul character. Well, Ninja Man is a local guy who is unknown outside of the neighborhood. Right. Crusader is a known vigilante right. um, with, with media coverage and probably has his own toy line, comic book and shit. Right. And they end up, they end up fighting. As uh, he's duly deputized by the uh, city police department, right? And and, and in the end, um, you know who's in the right and who's in the wrong in this. I mean, it's pretty fucking clear, right? But the media sells it as the opposite. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, Ninja Man ends up coming out as a, as the villain, right? But yeah, as I was saying, the, which the, is where the, the social uh, commentary part comes in. Well, yeah, there's that, and there's also that juxtaposition that Ninja Man is a kind of a sort, modernized sword and source, uh, sword and soul character. Uh, he's a descendant of a long line of uh, African royal warriors, right? Uh, very much a the Black Panther influence, um, and the Crusader is a Batman type of character, yet. He has this European Christian imagery as his uniform, and it's it's almost kind of like you know, Ninja Man taking a shot against the you know, colonialism. Right. It, it kind of reminded me of the kerfuffle over Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. um, where um, you get these cops who are obviously by any definition you want in the wrong. Yes. And uh, they're portrayed as victims because they were, you know, even though they assaulted people of Mm -hmm. color, um, they're the victims. And that's how this pretty much ends up where um, Crusader assaults Ninja Man. Ninja Man fights back and uh, is triumphant and then is painted as the villain. Right. Yes. Even though Ninja Man had a plan to make a, a very big, uh, important statement here uh, about the community. But, yeah, then the, the media goes through because Ninja Man is the unknown hero. Um, right. He's also and, an African-American hero. Guy dressed in black. Right. And then you have the Crusader who's dressed in these bright colors and he's got a cross on him and this sort of thing. And it's like, you know, America. Yeah, definitely. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Stay in your homes. So, yeah, another, another, this, this one was a great story. It was well-paced. Um, the characters were interesting. Uh, the backstory, we got just enough of the backstory. And, yeah, this is another one that, you know, really would like to see this go a little bit further. Yeah, I, I, uh, I like the Ninja Man character. I like the uh, tone of the story, mm-hmm. and it would it would definitely make a great series. Oh yeah, the 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 tone wise, it it I like how it kind of shifts back and forth between it being like very serious, very pointed, and then it'll suddenly shift into being humorous. Right. 
and and very humorous. Uh, you know, Reigns has you know great wit in writing this character. Yeah, and it wasn't like over the top dialogue. The dialogue's pretty, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's not like <laughs> yeah. it's 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 gritty, but it it has a little bit of that kind of Bronze Age. Right. They 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 do save their dialogue for before the fight. It's not during the fight where they're right. Um, right. And and uh, the fight is the fight is paced. The 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 fight's paced well and it's got um it's got a pretty cool description of what happens because Mm -hmm. it comes from Ninja Man's point of view and he's uh he's a master at hand to hand combat. Right. As is the Crusader. So you have like two experts in hand-to-hand combat, but you get the fight from Ninja Man's point of view. And Analyzing the moves. and, and Exactly. And and almost and, almost in kind of a Sherlock, that, that scene in the first Sherlock Holmes movie, mm-hmm, where, right. where Robert Downey Jr. You know, looks at the guy and then he decides how he's going to attack him. Right. And, and, oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. I was just going to say, in a way, it is a call to to Frank Miller's original Dark Knight. There, are, there are seven different ways I can react to this position. Right. Three of them only break bows. Four of them are fatal. Yeah. Not as not as cheesy as that, but it's, it's got. This a is little... not a mud hole, son. It's an operating table. Yeah, it's not quite. Not quite like that. But yeah. No, that's that was that was like the Crusaders' response. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, Crusaders Next, gotta go. Yeah, definitely. So next up on the list, we have uh, new elements by M. Haynes. And now this story has both the pros and the cons of trying to tell a superhero story in prose. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that really stands out, particularly in um, comparison to the the previous eight stories, is that this one is very focused on the procedural element. Um, you know, one of the the primary things, whether you're talking about you know uh, Batman back in the day, uh, Superman, any of any of these characters, or or Shadow. even the Shadow, Green Arrow, and the Flash on the television series, is you have this. At its heart, all superhero stories are crime stories. Right. Uh, and there is a procedural element where the hero has to solve the mystery and then figure out a way to use his, his or her special abilities to uh, eliminate the threat. So you got to remember, at one point, Batman was in detective comics, and it meant something. Right. He was the world's greatest detective. Not um, so much anymore. Not so, not so much anymore, but... Still, you, there was that procedural element. Right. Uh, there was even with Superman, there was a procedural element. It's, you know, yes, Lex Luthor's built a death ray, but you know he needs this component that's missing, and I got to figure out where right. the component is. Even like, yeah. like old Spider-Man stories were like that. Yeah, where, um, you'd have a villain that was too powerful for Spider-Man to, to fight, and it wasn't so much Spider-Man trying to figure out his next move, but trying to figure out how he was going to beat a guy. Who can shoot lightning out of his ass? Right, but but Spider Man also, you know, 
had to arrive at the scene of the crime and go, okay, I'm dealing with a guy that apparently, you know, is able to discharge lightning and then comes up with a way to counter that. And uh, that's the way, that's one of the main tropes of a superhero story. And you get that investigation in new elements, even though you're dealing with a, uh, a teenage team. They are the new elements. Yes. Um, you also have, there's a lot of world building in this story. Yeah, there's a lot of backstory that you get. Yeah, you get a lot of backstory, but it's not like overwhelming, like an info dump or something like that. It's all of the backstory you get is relevant to the current situation. Yes. Uh, and you have this team that's like um, an elemental version of the Teen Titans. Yeah, that kind of, kind of reminds me of like um, Science Heroes from Japanese anime from the 70s. Yeah. Yeah, you got kind of got that that feel. Ultraman or uh, um, Ultron or some shit like that. There's a there's a little bit of Avatar. Yeah, in there as well. There's a it's a very, um, you know, it's 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 a society you can say is very spiritual because you know hell the fucking gods are real, and they uh, visit well, well, regularly. Yeah, they, yeah, they have uh, shrines, and they have one, shrines. One of the big one of the big fight scenes happens at one of the shrines. Right, and and there's that aspect to it. Um, you know, this is a this is pretty much a secondary world. Yeah, this is a this is a secondary world. Uh, so we get lessons in geography and and names of cities and and mm-hmm. things like this because this is not Earth. This is not you know taking place in New York or Atlanta or Chicago or any place like that. It's taking place entirely in this fictitious city. Yeah, whole land. They live in different places. Oh yeah. They they're from around kind of around the country. They're in, they're kind of a national team. Yeah, and, and you know these guys, literally, they're kids, so they they get caught with their pants down. Uh, at one point, one of the characters is in the porta potty, doing his business, while the while the androids are attacking. Right, right. So you so you have basically like these these Teen Titans kind of characters fighting Ultron. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a, 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 just a slew of androids. Yep, being controlled yep. by a master android, like Manhunters. Manhunters, um, Sentinels. Yeah, you know, the, I mean, the, you know, the killer robot is 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 a is actually always a very cool trope because right. then you can get into some real heavy duty violence. Right, because you're not killing anybody. Right, you're not killing humans. It's just like uh, it's Samurai it's Jack. AI. It's AI. So you Right, right, and you know AI are technically not human, but even even drones and whatnot. Well, that's a that's an anime of a different nature. Exactly. That's that's a that's a moral conundrum for another show. Right. But yeah, it's like kind of like Samurai Jack. You can have he can cut through slews of robots because. Well, that's um, that's why the robots. That's why you saw a lot of robots in cartoons when we were growing up. Yep, because you can you can kill them. You didn't have to show the robot um, pulling on the parachute <laughs> when the plane exploded. Robot right. just go. <laughs> that's right, GI Joe. Everybody had a parachute or tank with an ejector seat. Yeah, you just had to show that they were okay. No, that's right. Or harmed in the in the animating of this cartoon. Yeah, red lasers and blue lasers are relatively harmless. They'll destroy anything but organic material. Right. Um, yeah, so you can let loose. 
Yeah, and you have the it's a large cast of characters here as your heroes. Each yeah. one of them has, you know, of course, as you have to in an ensemble kind of cast, is everybody's got a little bit of a personality. Uh, there are there is a dynamic between the characters. You know, this character and this character argues. This character is the little sister. Right. This is the new one. Right. And and even though these are this is well tread territory. Trope wise, it, it still worked fairly well together. Yeah. Um, but one of the, another thing that's the con of uh, superhero prose, and we mentioned this in the first episode, is that you know the action sequences. You know these are characters with elemental powers. They're moving water. They're shooting ice out of their hands and fire. And uh, one character has magic. So you have you know these depictions of what would be very easy to relay in a panel mm-hmm. and would be very dynamic in a panel. Um, you know, and, but we get, you know, descriptions that are accurate and would suit well in a comic script for the artist to draw, but we get the whirlwind swept the androids to the center of the room. Right. Not you know, as yeah. actually seeing the whirlwind. Right. Right. Yeah. With little pieces of Android flying off and, right. and things like that. Um, you know, it's effective, but yeah, it shows the limitations of the genre. Yeah. And, and the other, the other criticism I would have about the story, there's a lot of characters to keep track of. And in a comic, they would be, they would have, they would look different visually. Right. So it would be easier to keep track of them but here. Um, and it, it's both a strength and a weakness because the, the way it's written, um, it's it's kind of like a, a slice of life for them, so they already know each other, and they're referring to each other by their nicknames. Right, um, and, but, but, you're, but the, you have but the narrative is their their superhero name, mm-hmm. but they're t- calling each other you know their familiar name, so it gets a little right. confusing like that, and you wouldn't get as much of that in a comic because everybody'd have a different look. Right. So. Um, yeah, and and you know. Haynes goes in to uh, describe what these kids are wearing, and they're pretty much all wearing the same essential thing. They're not wearing a uniform, but they're wearing jeans and t-shirts. You know, one has a hoodie, you know, that sort of thing. So you really, they're they're kind of like you. You kind of need that that visual description that an artist would provide, right? Like even like, well, look at like the original X Men. They all wore the same thing, but they were distinctive. Yeah. But, like, uh, Iceman always, he was, he was like Snowman. Right. The, the Beast was bulky. Mm-hmm. Cyclops had the visor. Right. Jean Grey had the red hair. Well, so, Jean, Jean Grey was the girl. That's true. She had boobs. Right. She also so, had hair. She was also, she also had that green costume. No, but I'm like the, the original, original. Oh, the where everybody had the blue and yellow. Yeah, and and the the cowl. Because mm-hmm. I mean, that's at that point the X Men all had the same uniform, but they were distinct, kind of like right. this. You could have you could have done it easier with the visual medium. Right. Is what I'm saying. You could have given every character, you know, something to distinguish them from the rest of them. Or even exactly. like, even like um, Battle of the Planets, Gotcha Men. You know, every the they, uniforms were pretty much the same, but, but they, they were like little colors. right, different colors, different, different colors, heights, right, different size of the nose piece, 
right? Um, they would they they each had a way of standing that was different, right? Harder to convey that in prose. Yes, because you know we're you know, superheroes. So originally began as a visual medium, right? All right. So yeah, new elements. M. Haynes. Um, the last story on the list today is Real Monsters by Nora Anthony. Now, this this one really, this is another story that kind of, we begin and end on a pretty much a similar tone. Um, it's almost like Balogun set these stories up because he figured we would do them in groups of five. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, because that's, you know, everybody, you know, caters to us. Okay, we're the center of the fucking. Well, I just I, I find it very interesting that we have a similar tone in the first story we looked at and the last story. Um, now this one is not um, very strong on the social commentary, except for maybe you know a couple of digs at sexism. Yeah, it's uh, it's short as well. Yes, it's also short. Um, deals with a. Uh, main character with powers of a supernatural origin um who not not necessarily good powers either right not yeah these are this this poor lady has like the kind of the crap powers um she is you know when you first read the story you think she's a, a vampire but she's more of a i guess a ghoul yeah that's actually that's what i wrote i wrote um Women, woman becomes some sort of flesh-eating ghoul and starts preying on villains. Right. That's that's the story in a nutshell. Sorry. It's yeah. a little bit more than that, but I mean that that was my that's my note to remind me of what what happened in the story. Right. Exactly. But you know, you also have you know this element of tension between uh, the main character and the, the there's a community of these ghouls. And you in know, Borneo, in, no. In, no, but um, not Borneo. You have still paying attention. <laughs> There's a doll too. No, <laughs> but you have that that tension that you see in, uh, you know, like Blade, uh, right. particularly the films, where you know it's like. You're, you're kind of betraying us to do what you're doing. You know, why don't you just be who you are and come and live with us? And, and you kind of get the the feeling that instead of like wanting to have some super goth vampire coven that preys on people and their strength in numbers, that they kind of want to be separate. Um, the ghoul community is separate from people mm-hmm. for for protection because you know if. if God damn! If people found out about a society of ghouls that eat people, yes, there would be war. Yeah, but you know, it's like, but I we're separate, it, and you can come here and you can be yourself, and you can just slake your hunger on whoever the fuck you want. Um, and we have our char- our main character, our heroine, is you know really kind of morally opposed to what she is. Yeah, she doesn't like it. And I don't know. Really, if I would, she I, she yeah. has to she has to consume human flesh to survive. Um, but 
you know, she rationalizes what this this distasteful part of her personality is by um, consuming villains or bad right. guys. Right. And it's cool. The, the way they set it up, though, is really cool because you, you know she has some sort of power. Right. You don't know what it is. And they keep on talking about, um, like, she meets her downstairs neighbor. Oh, when was the last time you ate? You're so thin. You look so pale, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And and she talks about how you know she hasn't eaten, but she was going to eat tonight, and she'd be better. But it doesn't say what she eats, and it doesn't say what her powers are. And you know, you make assumptions. Right. Well, I mean, you know, when she goes downstairs to meet her neighbors, she has that altercation with the guys that have broken into the old lady's house. Right. She kicks their and ass. She kicks their ass, and you know, you know, she's got super strength. Uh, you know, she's got ex- enhanced senses because she can hear. You know, you can, she can hear this through the floor of. She lives in the apartment upstairs, right? And yeah, urban apartments. You know, thin floors, thin walls. But but still, you hear what you hear is ha 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 ha. Right. She yeah. hears, you know, get down on the floor. Right. She hears the uh, the actual conversations that are happening. Right. But but and you can also smell them through the floor. But even in that altercation with the thugs, uh, she says she doesn't want to kill them. Right, and so you, you, it's really cool because when the big reveal happens, it kind of blows you away because you don't expect it. Right, and it is and, a is actually a very prolonged sequence. Yeah, and it, um, have you been watching American Gods? Uh, no, I don't have that channel. There's a uh, there's a secret sequence that's somewhat similar. It's not eating, but right. Yeah, from from you know further down below, where one one of the American gods fucks people to death, mm. and uh, it's very similar. <laughs> Bill Chris. And so yeah, this this story, while also rather short, has a lot of. I derailed that. Do what? I derailed that. Yeah, you did. Um, yeah, so this story, while still very short, has there's a lot of world building going on in this little bit. Uh, you have, you know, the inner conflict between our main character and, and her nature, her new nature. You have the conflict between her and the villain. You have conflict between her and the community of people like her. And And... The end of the story really is is much in the same vein as a lot of these other stories, much in the same vein as comic books in general, is there's always that little text at the end that says, To be continued, true believer. Well, this, this one actually kind of um, had that same um, vibe as Cezine's book. What that... that just, American monsters. Yeah, American monsters. The crazy, yeah. crazy stuff. Yeah, well, not not the not the crazy stuff, but just that that theme of uh, who are the real monsters. Right. Exactly. Because I mean, by all by all intents and purposes, this woman should be the monster because you know she's fucking eats people. Right. That's kind well, of one of the, the definitions of monsters. <laughs> right. But but you know she has. A moral compass, mm-hmm. 
And so she decides to, instead of just randomly eating people, she's going to put it to good use and eat the real monsters, people who prey on people. Right. And that's a, it's an, it's an important question. You know, um, it's one of those, it's one of those things that recurring with, uh, Ben Grimm of the fantastic four. You know, he looks like a monster, but is he a monster? You know, oh, she believes like, she believes she's a monster. In fact, you know, she's very much, you know, I, I could see her sitting on the Brooklyn Bridge with Ben Grimm and you know having a chat and you know I, I feel you there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she might be a little bit more like classically monstrous as Ben Grimm. Ben, ben Grimm's got more of that Frankenstein kind of monsterness yeah. about him. It's, is he really a monster just because he looks like that? Mm-hmm. Whereas she, you know, she does eat people. Right. It goes a little bit deeper than, than just what they, what she looks like. Right. Well, I mean, they, uh, Nora goes through great strides to, to tell us what she looks like, and she's not physically monstrous. Right. Oh, no, she's not. As a matter of fact, she's um, quite attractive. Allure, and, 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 and I think that would be part of the, the whole... Right. That she was, she was not ugly. I, I think the the story like referred to it is she was not ugly, you know, before the change, but now she's just got that little something extra, right? Which you know that's the lore people in to eat them. Well, of course, you know, come into my parlor," said the spider to the fly. Right. And then, and then there's the other thing: the people, the other ghouls that want her to join up with them. Um, the one that's. The, her recruiting officer basically leaves her door unlocked so her neighbor would walk in. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's and that actual scheme we're going to leave unspoken because that's kind of a really sh- kind of a shock. That's the shock of the story. Yeah, but but I mean that just goes you know further into asking that question: Who the fuck are the monsters? Because like you know mm-hmm. once you add it all up from the story. Um, the least monstrous person in this whole story, aside from from the neighbor, <laughs> is is uh, Conda. Yeah, absolutely. And being the heroine, of course, she would be right. And she's like a true heroine. She's not like an anti-heroine. No, no. She she really wants to do good, rather than uh, you know, she's she's that she's that falls into that category of uh, blade and. Uh, Nick Knight and that sort of right. supernatural thing creature that really we think of as horror, but it, it being that creature imbues you with certain powers and abilities beyond those of mortal men yes. that you can choose your free will and choose to be good and use those powers for the benefit of humanity rather than being a creature of nightmares. And that's, that sums it up right there. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, beyond just these five stories, so it, it looks like um, Balogun is, tr- is putting together a game based on this anthology. Interesting. Um, I don't have the full details on that. It's just like a, a few mysterious Facebook posts. But well, it is a superhero game, so you know there is going to be some mystery involved. 
Well, no, what I'm saying is when we looked at Kikanga, right. we, we were wanting more. Yes. And um, a lot of the stories in Kikanga were like gateways to the world of the game. Mm-hmm. And it seems like um, even though the, the cast of authors has expanded, that um, a lot of these are, gonna, are going to be setting ideas and um, yeah, or organizations, teams, yeah. people you might meet, uh, other planets mm-hmm. um, for for the game. For the game, uh, and yeah, and that's a, that's a good way to do it too. Is is do these stories where they can continue, right? You know, this you know, real monsters. You could read real monsters to your players, and then the next chapter is you know your your players. Operating in the same world. Yeah. So, I, I and I don't. I honestly don't know if that's his intention, um, or not. But it, it seems like e- even if it's not his intention, and there is this game comes out, that this is a really great place to jump off from, especially for like story ideas for playing. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, it's it's a good idea. It's still a great anthology. Um, little little something for everybody so far. Yeah. Um, you know, different mix of characters, mix of styles. Um, yeah, we're about halfway through now, and yeah, this is this is a five star book, and um, you should get a copy of it. Once again, it's on Amazon. It's Black Power, the superhero anthology, uh, edited by Balagono Chitade, and we'll have the link in the description. Yes, sir. And next time around, we'll be looking at the next five stories in the book. It'll be episode three. So um, until then, go ahead. Curves out there. The next story is called Classic.